I've entitled this message this morning, Who Am I? So you remember that last week, and I'll bring it up again today, but last week I mentioned, I asked everybody here, I said, if you're a saint, raise your hand. And we discussed that if you are a Christian, then you are a saint, because being a saint is not based on the things that you do. How many of you want to say thank God for that? Oh, I'm so thankful that my salvation and my right standing before God has nothing to do with the things that I've done. And quite honestly, if I'm being honest, even some of the stuff that I do now. Because just like Paul, and I think it's the same for all of us, we haven't achieved it yet. Can I get an amen? We're still, we're still moving forward. We still have moments. And, and even the pastor messes up sometimes. Listen. That was a genuine, like, oh, how could that be? And you're like, yeah, of course you do. We know you. I don't know. Just, I just need your address so I know where to send my therapy bill. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need it. Praise God. See, that's the thing about us. It's an identity. We're a saint, not because of the things we do, not because we live perfectly, not because we do everything right. We're saints because God has called us that. And how many know when God calls you something, that is what you are? And nothing else matters. Not something anybody else can say. And that's what I want to look at tonight is really looking at who are we? Who am I discovering our identity in Christ? Because here's the thing. When we are asked by our people around us who we are, you know, if somebody asked my wife, Michelle, who are you? She might say, well, I'm a mother or I'm a surgical technician. You know, if somebody asked me that, I would say, well, I'm a pastor and I'm, a, I'm a, an IT guy. And, and, you know, we get asked things and we, we automatically describe who we are based on what we do. And the thing is, it should be completely different. What we do should be based on who we are, not who we are based on what we do. And I thank God in the realm of Christianity that is true. And the truth is, to be a successful Christian, you need to be able to answer this question when the enemy comes to you and says, who are you? You need to have an answer for that. And we need to understand that we can have confidence and we can have boldness in who we are. That's the great thing about trusting in a God who is always faithful, that if we trust him for our salvation, then it's a done deal. It's not a if, it's not a maybe. We're not, we're not doing the best we can hoping for the best outcome. But the truth is, is if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then it's a done deal. We are saved. We're made brand new. And the reality is, is as Christians, who we are should determine what we do and not vice versa or the other way around. And the truth is, is that every attack of the enemy on your life is ultimately asking that question, who are you? So let's get started here. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took up to the holy city and said to him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and in him only shall you serve. And the devil left hold, angels came and were ministering to him. There's a couple things that I want to point out in these questions. Ultimately, when the devil was tempting Jesus, you'll notice that he did two things. One, he questioned who he was. First time he says, I mean, what the devil said was, if you are the Son of God. He immediately begins to question who Jesus is. So the first thing he says is, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The next station it says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. See, that's the thing is when the enemy comes attacking, he's always questioning who you are. It's always a question of your identity. And if that's not what he's going to do, he does one other thing. Very common. If you think about all the times you've been tempted, you'll notice this. He either questions who you are, or he says right here, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship you. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, and he says, I'll give these to you. Does anybody know something weird about that question? He's trying to give something that's already Jesus's. Jesus already had that. Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. Guess what? That stuff was already his. And the enemy is always coming to you and trying to give you something that's already yours in Jesus Christ. Right? So what do temptations come as? They come as some way of, of saying that this will fulfill you. This will make you happy. This will, will fulfill some need. Typically, they're, they're a way to fulfill a legitimate need with an illegitimate means. And he's trying to, to say that, that I'll give you this if you'll only do these things. And we forget that we already have them. We forget that our joy is in Jesus. We forget that our happiness comes from, from Him and not through all of these things. And that's the great thing about Jesus is He doesn't even, when He starts questioning who He is, He says, if you are the Son of God, Jesus doesn't even argue with Him really. He just says, well, this is what the Word says. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to determine and discover who we are based on what the Word says, so that we have an answer when the enemy comes calling. And then the reality is, is the way that we live our lives, and I've said it multiple times this morning, and I'll be laboring it probably this entire message, is that who we are determines what we do. One of the scriptures that has always been eye-opening for me was 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through And it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Has anybody ever read that and got a little nervous? Because I've not done everything on that list, but I might have done a couple in my lifetime. And you read that and you're like, well, wait a minute. I've done these things. I've certainly stolen. That means I'm a thief. But then Paul doesn't stop there. How many know that when you read Scripture, you can't just stop? you got to read the whole thing and take it. And this is what he says. And such were some of you, 
But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. First, we have to understand that who we are now is not who we used to be. And we also need to understand kind of the background. If we think about what's happening there, he's talking to the Corinthian church. He's telling them these things because they're doing them. And this is strange to me because they're doing these stupid things. This list, he lays them all out. He says, if you are these things, then you won't get into heaven. And then the reason he's telling this is because they're still doing these things. They're supposed to be saved, but they're falling back into stupidity, and just like we do sometimes. And he's, but he says, this is what you used to be. He wasn't saying because you're doing them, you're screwed, which is good because we'd all be in a pretty bad boat. If every time we messed up, we were put right back in the camp straight to hell. What he's saying is, is, is these types of people, people who are these things, don't get into heaven. That's who you used to be. Quit acting like who you used to be and start acting like who you are now. Start living from the identity of who you are now, who you've become in Christ. Now, the crazy thing is that sometimes we don't teach this very well in church, and many of us don't even understand who we are in Christ. And it's a good thing when you first get saved just to know that you've been made right with God and that you're, you're going, and that's a great thing, but we have to grow. We can't stay infant like that. We have to learn who we are. And the only way you can learn who you are is to read the Word of God so you can answer like Jesus said, as it is written. Because the thing is, being good or imitating those things isn't enough. You can't just look like those things. You can't just do those things. This has to be who you are. In Acts 19, 13 through 16, it says, And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who? Are you? There's that question again, always questioning identity. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, imitating a Christian, looking like one, doing all the right things, is not enough. You can live the perfect life, you can do everything right. You can do all the right things, say all the right things, be nice to everybody, help every little old lady across the street that you can, but it doesn't matter how good that you are, it's not enough. Because that's the things that you're doing, it's not who you are. And the thing is, to be saved is an identity, it's to be a Christian. And the truth is, is that if that's all we're doing is the right things, if we're living by a set of rules, eventually the enemy, the devil, will overpower you. You see, that's the thing that was here. They says, he says, well, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And the, the spirit inside of him said, Jesus, I know Paul, I recognize, but who are you? You see, the enemy is going to ask that question. Are you going to have an answer? Or are you just going to get rolled over by the devil? The question is always asked, but do you have an answer? I remember I read this before, and uh, yeah, a lot of times I read the scripture and stuff makes me nervous. I don't know about you guys, but I start thinking about how this is going to apply in my life. And one time, um, I got a call um, from a lady who was, who was saying that she was having some demonic stuff going on in her house and she wanted me to come over. And uh, uh, 
I don't know, my, my answer to all of these things is always Jesus. And, and I think she was, she never did have me come over because I think she was upset with me because I finally had to tell her, I'm not taking what you're saying flippantly. I know that there is a spiritual room and stuff like this happens, but the answer is Jesus no matter what. We're going to go out there, we're going to take authority of whatever you got going on in the name of Jesus, and we're going to walk away and be done because we've been given that authority. And I don't know if she wanted more from me, but, but I remember when she called me, I called my pastor, and I, I told him, I, I read him this. I'm like, what happens if it asks me who I am? And he looked at me, and he said, the devil knows who you are. And that's when I began to realize that when this is who you are, when you're saved, when you have that identity, then that is who you are. And then I began to start thinking about that. He said that, and that began to encourage me. But then I began to say, well, what would I say? How would I answer if the devil said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who, you, who are you? And that's kind of where this message comes from today. Matter of fact, I've, I've preached this message before. Some of you might think this is familiar. Many of you will come up to me and say, man, that was an awesome message today, Pastor. And I'd be like, I preached it before. You were right in the front row. Why don't you remember? You should be taking notes. But the thing is, that's where this came from, is what would I say? Would I know who I am? And that's what we're going to look at today, because I want you, by the end of this message, to have an answer when the enemy asks who you are, so you don't end up becoming overpowered, but you stand in faith on what Christ has done in you. So the first thing that you have to understand is that you are chosen. And 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you guys know that God chose you? The scripture says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know, the interesting thing is that the Jews had a priesthood, but as Christians, we are a priesthood. This becomes part of our identity as well. We no, have, we no longer have to go through someone to speak to God. You know, in the Old Testament, God would, Moses would go speak to God, then Moses would come out and speak to the people, right? And his face would be glowing. They'd get nervous and want him to cover it up because they didn't want to be that close to God. But we no longer have to go through an intermediate to speak to God. The truth is, is that we go through the mediator that we have is Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, because when we come to God, we come in the identity of Jesus and the power and the authority of Jesus. And that's the same spirit, the same authority that Jesus had. When we stand before God, that's how we speak to him, because we speak in Jesus' name. When we pray, we don't say in Jesus' name at the end for just some sort of uh, a traditional Christian tagline. It's a reality. We are speaking to God in the name of Jesus. In His authority, we have the right to go and stand before God and speak to Him face to face. What a privilege that is. In our, in our priesthood, we don't sacrifice or offer up sacrifices of animals anymore, but we still offer up sacrifices. Our spiritual sacrifices of praise and worship and time and money, those are the ways that we honor God and offer up sacrifices to Him. 
And the reality is, is because he chose us, we are now a people. We were not a people, but now we're God's people. So that's the first thing. When the enemy asks you who you are, you say, devil, I'm chosen. I'm chosen by God, and I'm one of his people. And because he chose us, like I said, we're a people of God, and we hadn't received mercy, but now we receive mercy. And that means we don't get what we deserve because he chose us. It must be good preaching. Someone's trying to make me be quiet. Well, we, we got all morning. We can wait. See, that's the thing about God, is that he was always looking for us, even from the beginning. You guys remember that God makes Adam and Eve, everything's going swimmingly. They get stupid, as people often do. And they go and hide. And what happens next? God begins looking for them. They don't go looking for God. God begins looking. And that's the way it always is. God has chosen us from the beginning. He's always looking for us because left up to our own devices, we just hide in shame and guilt and want to run away. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says this, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He's predestined us for adoption. I piped in predestined into dictionary.com and it says to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. That means that we've been predetermined to be sons of God through Jesus Christ from the beginning of time. This has always been God's plan. Destiny doesn't mean required, though. Even though we've been predestined to be sons of God, it's not a requirement to become sons of God, and so many people are going to reject that free gift, even though that's what they were designed for, that's what they were made for, that's how God prepared them and built them so that they could be in fellowship with him. But so many, see, we, we think of predestination as something that has to happen. But it doesn't. Predestination isn't required. It doesn't mean it's required. It, it, the best way to look at this, I think, is that we were predesigned to be children of God. And we're all predestined to be adopted into his family. But so many will choose not to be. The next thing, next answer you might have for the devil if he asks who you are is that you're alive. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. You know, since the fall, man has been spiritually dead. Man has been dead since the fall. That's what the scripture says. Here it says we were dead in our trespasses. And Pastor Billy Hall, he's uh, uh, an evangelist with Praise Chapel. This is something he said back in the 2013 Activate Conference. And I always found pretty profound. And, and uh, he said that dead men have options. And it's really interesting coming from him because at the time, or at least previously, uh, he was in prison for life. And I don't know all the details, and, and I believe he, he murdered somebody, if, if I recall correctly. And he was, he was in prison for life. He was literally a dead man walking. And God, isn't it amazing how God can touch people that even do the most horrendous things and turn their life around? And some of us get a little judgmental, going, how could God use somebody like that, forgetting the entire time who Paul was? 
Paul was kind of an awful person before he got saved. Did a lot of terrible things, but God could use him. Why couldn't he use somebody that had once committed murder but had his life touched by God? Because he was made brand new. That's one of the things we're going to learn. That when you get saved, you can tell the devil, I'm brand new. I'm not who I used to be. But he, he had no options. He was in prison. He had no options. But oh, we're made alive in Christ. And that's when the world opens up. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. So that's another thing you can add to your list. You can say, devil, I'm chosen, and now I'm alive. I'm no longer dead and stuck with you anymore. The next thing that you can tell the devil is that I have been made brand new. This is one of my favorite verses, one of the, the first ones that I ever memorized in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? If you're saved, you're in Christ. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a, a rebuilt creation. He is a refurbished creation. He is a like new creation. No, it says he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I think with an engineering mind, a lot of times, that's, I'm an IT guy. That's how my head works most of the time. And I, I love stuff like this because it's so clear. It's like a flow chart. You guys ever seen those flow charts that have like a little thing that says, says uh, uh, in Christ would be the first question. In Christ. If yes, new creation. If no, old creation. Still the same old thing. But it's that simple. If you're in Christ, that you are brand new. And like I said, it doesn't mean that you're refurbished. You're brand new. It doesn't mean you had a fresh coat of paint slapped on you. It's not like, I mean, every single one of us right now, if we went to the store and we bought something that was still in the box and we took it home and we could obviously tell that it was used and they sold it as new, we would be upset. We would take it back to the store. This obviously wasn't new. We all understand what new means. Fresh from the factory, never touched, never used, still got that, that new smell that is actually most of the time just gross, but we wanted to have it. <laughs> have you ever smelled new electronics? It smells terrible. But the truth is, it's brand new. That's how you know it's new. It's never been touched. It's never, and that's what happens when you are born again in Christ. You are made, you're not who you used to be. You're not a, a reshaped, remolded person of who you used to be. You're not just patched up. You are brand spanking new. That's amazing to me. And the funny thing is, the more that you study, I won't go into it much today, but the, the more you study, you realize that that's a requirement. Because the old you is messed up. The old you is broken. The old you is beyond repair. But the new you, See, that's what will happen, too, is, is, is you'll get into a mess and you'll have those thoughts pop in your head as the enemy's pointing things at you and say, wait a minute, you're not new, you're not forgiven. What about that thing you did just last week? What about that stuff that you did when you were a kid? What about that stuff you did five minutes ago? Because he'll point those things out and you remind them, you know what? I'm brand new. I'm forgiven. I am free. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> the next thing you have to understand is you are holy. And Ephesians 1 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Holiness means to be set apart. 
We have been set apart by God. How many, that's a good thing. When the devil starts pointing fingers at you, listen, I've been picked out. I was chosen. I was made brand new. And then God set me apart for him. That's a good thing that you can say. You've been, you're holy. You're, you're set apart. But all doesn't say holy. It says you're holy. But you are blameless before him as well. That means when you stand before God, nothing can be held against you. The scripture says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? That's, a, that's the, the obvious answer is no one. And it's not because we've never done anything. And it's not because we've lived perfectly, but it's because he's already paid the price. Every charge that was brought against you was already dealt with in him. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. First thing we have to ask, well, what were we ignorant of? He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What were we ignorant of? That we were ignorant that we are actually free from those former lusts. We're not in bondage to them anymore. We're not stuck with them anymore. How many of us at one time thought that we had to fix ourselves first before we could get right with God? Somehow, before we could come to God, before we could speak to Him, before we could come to His throne, we figured that somehow we have to make ourselves better. I've had so many people say that, no, I can't come to church because i got to get right with God first. And I'm like, you're doing it backwards. Come to church, hear about Him, learn about Him, and let Him make you right with Him. problem is is, is is that's an ignorance when we think that way that somehow we have to do something before we can come to god church if you could do something you wouldn't need god if you could let that sink in if you could do something on your own you wouldn't need jesus but the fact is is that we can't and we're ignorant if we think that we can and then he says you shall be holy for I am holy. And I think this goes two ways. One, it's, I think it's a command. I am holy, so you need to be holy. But I also think it's a reality. Because He is holy, then we are holy. And see, that's the thing, is who, what we do should flow from who we are. And if you recognize and understand that you are holy, then from that, your life will live as one who is holy. See, that's the thing is getting the cart before the horse. So many of us try to lay our list of rules out. We try to do the right thing so that we can be holy when the whole time we already were holy and we just need to live from that. You see, that's the thing is that we try to do it on our own, we just fail. But when we let him live through us so we can finally live and be the people that he wanted us to be, we can finally live out who we are in Him. The thing is, is we'll always act as a result of who we are on the inside because you can only cover that up for a little while. I mean, who you used to be, but if we can recognize who we are and live from that, that's when our life will begin to change. And I know that happened in my own life because I tried to do everything right. I, I had this laundry list of things that I knew I had to do, and every night I'd go to bed and I'd pray, God, forgive me for this, 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 and this. And then I'd wake up and do them all over again the same day. It wasn't until I finally stopped 
focusing on what I had to do, but instead begin to dive in His Word, spend time with Him, have my mind renewed, and learn who I was, that naturally, out of that, I begin to live the way that He wanted me to live. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You want to know how I know that if you're in Christ, that you're holy? This is one thing people might rationalize that. By, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I'm still doing. And they begin to rationalize that maybe that can't be true. But the thing is, is that when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you know what else the Scripture says? That in Him there is no darkness, and darkness cannot have fellowship with the light. The truth is, is that if the two were together, one would destroy the other. I'll give you a guess as to who wins. Light destroys darkness. They can't be in fellowship together. So if you weren't holy, if you weren't clean, if you weren't forgiven, if you weren't perfect, if you weren't pure, how could God live inside of you? But He's already taken care of that. He's made you that way. So the next thing when the devil asks you who you are, tell him, I'm holy. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done in you. Ephesians 1, 7-9 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The next thing you can say is, I am redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ we find out that we have redemption. And to be redeemed, to, to redeem something is to buy or to pay it off. And it's like in a court of law, for, for Jesus to redeem us, it's like in a court of law, if the, the judge found you guilty, and then he his off out of his, his, what do they call it a judge? It's not a throne. What does he sit in? What is it, the bench? He gets off the bench? I don't know. Whatever a judge sits in up there with his gavel. I can remember gavel, but I can't remember the chair he sits in. But if he, if, if he gets up there and proclaims you guilty, but then gets off, walks around to the other side and pays the fine for you, that's exactly what God did for us. He said you are guilty. There's no getting around that. The fact is, is that, that we are all guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've been proclaimed guilty, unrighteous, but then God got off the judgment seat, and paid the penalty, the price. He redeemed us himself by sending his son. In his blood, his death, the death of Christ was the payment for our sin because someone has to die for that because what is the wages of sin? Death. It has to be paid. So Jesus paid that penalty for us according to the riches of his grace, which was Jesus, which was more than enough, not just for me, but for everybody, not just us in this room, but for the entire world. That's what John 3.16 says. And it says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, make known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. What is the mystery of his will? That he wishes none should perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. God wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth to be saved in Jesus because he paid for it all. A price that we could never pay, he paid for it all. So when the devil comes back and says something to you, say, no, you, you owe something for this. Or you're not. You say, you know what? I am redeemed, devil. That's who I am in Christ. Next thing we have to understand is that we are able 
Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Your ability to achieve something has nothing to do with your own strength, with your own ability. Because I don't know about you, but I come up to stuff that is terrifying, that would stop me in my tracks. But if something seems scary beyond your ability to do it, if you put your trust in Him and let Him work through you, in Him you can accomplish what you thought would be impossible. You know what? I thought it would be impossible to start a church. Matter of fact, when I was younger, I told my best friend that I could never be a pastor, and the thought of it terrified me. But the truth is, is that on my own, there's no way I could do this. But in Him, I can do anything. He gives me the strength to accomplish what He wants me to accomplish in this life. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You guys know that song we all sing? It says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And goes on and says, for when I am weak, then he is strong. That's actually a misquotation of this verse. The scripture doesn't say, when I am weak, then he is strong. The scripture says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because that's the thing. In areas of our weakness, we're not afraid to lean on God. And when we have a weakness in our own ability, we trust in him, and then we become strong in him. In our weaknesses, we can more easily trust Him and allow Him to work and receive all the glory. That's why God has a hard time using people that are prideful or arrogant because they want all the glory. You know, there's so many times in Scriptures you'll see stuff that happens. It's like when, when Lazarus was raised from the grave. God does, always does such stuff in such a way that He's given the glory. Because God could have came, or Jesus could have came right away and either healed Lazarus before he died. But instead, what's he do? He says, hey, Lazarus hurt and he needs your help. And he says, I'll be there in a few days. And he waits three days. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus in the King James Version says, he stinketh. And I was like, why did he wait three days? Because he wanted there to be no doubt what God was doing so that God would get the glory. So somebody could say it was something else. But when we work in our weaknesses, allowing God to work, it's God who gets the glory. Now, I don't want to be, I want to be clear on something, though, that's true, that in Him we can, we can do all things. But it doesn't mean that when you get saved, everything is hunky-dory after that. It's not all bubblegum and lollipops. You'll actually go through some hard times. As a matter of fact, you will probably experience uh, issues in your life that you may not have ever experienced had you not become a Christian. There will be difficulties. There will be hard times. But He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will get you through it all. And the truth is, I don't know how people get through hardships and struggles without God. My dad passed away in his mid-50s, actually just a year or two after I started this church. And I'm a believer. I was at the time, obviously. I planted the church. It would be pretty weird if I wasn't planting a church. But uh, my sister struggles with her faith from time to time. And when, when my dad passed away, he had pancreatic cancer. When they finally found out 
what it was, it was too late. It was stage four. And, and basically, we just had to um, stand by as it eventually ravished his body and he passed away. First thing I found out, I did when I found out that, that he had cancer, was I asked him, I said, Dad, are you born again? Do you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior? And he said that he did. And I was so happy. Because the scripture says that as Christians, we don't mourn the way the world mourns because we have a greater hope. And I'll be honest with you, if people aren't born again, I don't know how they get through that stuff because it's devastating even with that hope. But I knew that one day I'm going to be able to see him again. This momentary, this time of my life where he's not there is momentary, particularly in the scheme of things, the scheme of eternity. It's a, a very small blip. And then I get to see my dad again. doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard times, but it does make the hard times easier to get through. You, matter of fact, you know that you'll get through them because there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you don't have to face those things alone. The next thing we need to understand is that we are more than conquerors. Romans 8.37 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. First thing we ask when we see this is, what are all those things? I'm glad you asked. In verse 35, right before this, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? And he says, no, in all of these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, pretty much all the bad stuff in life, it's all covered there. It'll fit in one of those categories. It says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, when the devil says that you're weak and that you can't win, you can say, no, I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. I like how the, the New American Standard Bible translates this. It says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And the reason I like this is because I like, I, I like uh, breaking stuff down and understanding stuff sometimes. And we look at the word overwhelmingly. Well, the root of that word is obviously whelm, to whelm something. When you, when you whelm something, that means to submerge it or to engulf it or to overcome it utterly. It's completely underneath. It's completely dealt with, taken care of, submerged. And if that's what it means to, to whelm something, what does it mean to overwhelm something? That means even more than that. And I love that, that idea. It's not like we just conquer by the skin of our teeth. It doesn't say that we're conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Or we're overwhelmingly conquered. That means it's not just by a little bit. We don't just barely get by, but we are victorious beyond contestation. There's no like, well, if things would have went another way, it might have been tough. It's, just, it's not close. You win. You're able to overcome. The enemy in your life is completely defeated and you are able to overcome. You are able to conquer. You have authority over him. The scripture actually says that if he comes at you, if you resist him, he must flee. doesn't mean he's not going to come at you. Matter of fact, the more you're walking with God, the more value we are to the kingdom of heaven, the more he's going to come after you because you're doing more damage to his kingdom. If you don't ever have the enemy come against you, you might want to look at where you're at in your life. But we have complete authority over him. He'll keep coming back, but we can keep pushing him away. 
And every time he does something to attack us or to do, uh, to do something in our life, we stand and trust in God and God will get us through no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, he is there for us and we know in the end we win. Amen? Here's another thing that you have to understand if you're in Christ is that you are qualified. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit with every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, that's one of the things that uh, the enemy will one begin to question, but I think oftentimes we question ourselves. As new believers, and particularly people that aren't believers, they begin to evaluate their own life and think, how could God love me? How could God care about me? Does he know the things that I've done? How could I possibly qualify for, for this, what you're talking about? How could I possibly qualify for this great amount of love? That's the thing is Christianity is simple and salvation is simple. Just trust in Him. But we begin to think, we begin to wonder, well, that's what you say, but that sounds too easy. Obviously, I must have to make up for something. I must have to atone for something. I must have to put something forward on the table. And you begin to disqualify yourself by your own ideas in your own head when, when God says you're not qualified because of the things you do. You're qualified because the Father has qualified you by what he's done to share in the inheritance of the saints in his life. And I just got the message that I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go through this whole verse, but just know that you are qualified in him. We're also victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been given the victory over sin. You don't have to be dragged down by it anymore. Those things, those temptations in your life, instead of letting them beat you down, remind them of who you are. And if there's any sin that's ever giving you trouble, begin to repeat this verse. When it pops into your head, when those things pop into your head, remember that, that thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are victorious in Him over everything that comes to try to tear you down. You're also born of an imperishable seed. And 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. See, the thing is, is in our natural birth, we are born broken. We're born corrupted. Nothing as a baby, you've not done anything. But the problem is, is that sin is passed down through generation to generation. And since Adam ate that fruit, every person has been born broken, spiritually bankrupt from the beginning. But the thing is, is that in Christ, we are born again. We are made new. Since we become born again. And like we said earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. You're made brand new. This is forever. This is not something, it's not like when we buy something new now. You buy something new and then you use it for a while and it begins to wear down. It begins to break down. It begins to fall apart. It begins to rust, corrode. All of those things as you use them over time. That's not how it is with us because when we're born again, we're made brand new and we stay sparkling and shiny and brand new the entirety of our life. 
And our newness does not degrade and it doesn't decay. That's what it says here too, is that the Word of God is forever as well. That's how we are made or born again, not of, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. See, the, the Word of God is incorruptible of man change over time. If you're confused about that, just look at the things our forefathers said and look at how they're being interpreted right now. What they proposed is not what is being enforced today because the words of man can change and become corrupted over time, but the, the words of God cannot. And what we are born of, what that Im, the imperishable seed means that it's never going to change. It can't be taken away from you. It doesn't become less with time. When you're first saved, you're not more saved than if you've been saved for 30 years. You're the same saved, which is all the way. Amen? Here's another one that I think that so many people don't understand well. Matter of fact, so many people go through life not understanding loved because they've been hurt and abused by so many life that said that they loved them and then did things that aren't in alignment with love. But God loves you. In Romans 1 7, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And the thing is, is God is not like us, our earthly fathers, who make mistakes and do dumb things. And, and, and it's hard for us to understand that because people have told us they loved us our whole life and then did things that don't, aren't in alignment with, with things that people who love us should do. But God isn't like that. He loves you with all of his heart and everything he does is in alignment with that love. God loves you. Nothing else, one of the things that you should do every morning, if you're not convinced of that, is stand in front of the mirror, look at yourself and say, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And I think if you would do that just for a little while, you'd begin to have your, your mind and your heart change as you recognize that God loves you no matter what. So when the enemy says that God doesn't love you, Look at all those things that you, how could God love a person that's done something like that? You can say, it is written. He loves me. Nothing the devil can say will change that. And as a brief aside, he says, called to be saints. What we talked about earlier, if you're born again, you're a saint. It's an identity. It's not something that you've done. It's a son of disobedience, sons and daughters of disobedience, but now you're saints. It's the identity of who you ought to be doing. And end here, and sorry I had to rush a few, but we'll end here in John 1, 12 through 13. Most importantly, church, you are children of God. Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The result of what Jesus did in you when you became born again, when you received him as your Lord and Savior, is that you became a child of God. One of the most misguided things that people say, they're, I don't know if it's still there anymore, but they used to drive down Broadway, I think up maybe around Alvernon-ish, there was a big wall, and on the side it said, we are all God's children. You know, and that's a pretty good platitude, and as you're reading by that, Sounds good, and if you're a Christian, actually, you're well-versed in the Scriptures, you might even think that's true. 
But particularly if you're not a Christian, it sounds good. We're all God. He doesn't care what we've done. He, he loves us. And, uh, and it's true. God does love them. But if they're not born again, they're not a child of God. That is a right given to us who have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are not all God's children. It's true that he made us all, that we are made in his image. That's true. It's true that he loves us, but we are not all God's children. The scripture says here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And you weren't born a child of God by blood, not by a natural childbirth or the will of man, but of God. We are born again and made new. And as a chair to all the Father has. That's an amazing thing. You see, when you're the child of, a, of an earthly father, you're the heir to what he has. But when you're an heir to the Father of heaven, then you're an heir to all that he has. And that's an interesting thing, because like I said when we started this, the devil's going to come at you and do two things. He's going to question who you are, and we just talked about that extensively. Hope you wrote them all down. I am forgiven. I am chosen. I am victorious. I'm more than a conqueror. I am pure, I am holy, I am forgiven, I am redeemed. You can say all of those things. I am loved, I am a child of God. And he has no answer to that, because these are the things that you are if you're born again. And then the next thing that he'll try to do is offer you something that you already have. Because if you are a child of God, then you're an heir to everything that he has. And you remember the story of the prodigal son, the, the stun that stuck around says, why are you giving him all this stuff? When he comes home, why are you giving him the fattened calf? Why are you putting on a, 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 a part? What did the father say? Son, while you were with me, all these things were yours. Truth is, is that when you're an heir, when you're a child of God, you're an heir to everything that you have right now. The devil can't tempt you with those things if you understand that you have them ready. In Christ. But the truth is, church, what might be your answer if somebody comes up to you and says, Who are you? I would hope you'd say, How much time do you have? 